0: All right, guys. Uh, welcome to episode thirty-nine of World's Greatest
1: Complainer uh, with you boys, as usual.
0: <laughs> welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we fuck. Do shit. Oh, I knew I had it. Okay, the podcast where we fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's where we is it talk about? Do we say talk about?
1: Were we talking Uh, about? Welcome to Beer and Movie Podcast where we discuss two
0: of the great. Okay. Welcome to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we discuss two of the greatest art forms known to humanity beer and movies. Sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, and other times giving ourselves the opportunities to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm your host, David Gurney, and I'm here with Carlos Cooper
2: and Joe Hilliard.
0: And it's great to be here with you guys, again, doing one of these uh, remote recording sessions while we're all in our respective uh, quarantine units, as mandated by the federal—no, actually, the local municipality.
2: Uh, unless it's essential. I mean, this is pretty essential, but I just don't but trust— But it can be
0: done them. remotely. I mean, it's I just, a, I just don't
2: trust y'all's germs.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't. I don't trust my own. Yeah.
2: I listen, Whenever we record these, David, you and I— used to leave the studio now we just uh, log off and then we don't get to hear the finished product until Wednesday mm-hmm. and uh so I always I'm always eager to listen to what Carlos did with the episode how it sounded how drunk we were and uh I liked last week's episode it was um it was it was interesting and I think certainly appropriate
0: yeah I think it humanized us in some ways like up until then <laughs> I was kind of honestly. I was getting worried that our listeners were probably getting no. I, I was the opposite, thinking like these are you know subhuman, like, <laughs> ter- you know just terrible people walking the earth who who deserve no time on air. And and I think last week we might have earned a few people back if they tuned in.
2: It's nice to be human again.
1: Again, yeah, um, yeah. I thought you know when I was editing it, I thought it sounded pretty good. I was. Happy about that, um, since we're not in our normal studio setup where you know I don't really have a lot of control over what's going on on y'all's end, whereas normally I'm the you know master of my own domain that's right um but i I did really enjoy listening to it. I thought that and you know people say stuff like this all the time about anything, not just like podcasting, not just creative stuff, but I think the uh like kind of changes that we've been forced to make kind of maybe broke us out of some of the habits and like tendencies that we have gotten into. Cause it can get very kind of, there can be a lot of muscle memory, I guess
0: mm-hmm. is a good
1: analogy. Like we come in, we sit down, we have the two segments, we have the two beers, we take a break, we do a second, you know, kind of thing. So doing it this way, I feel like it's kind of, at least for me, um, kind of breaking out of the norm and, Uh, Well, I think injecting a little bit of pizzazz back into it.
2: We're going to see a shift in how the world does everything after this. I mean, this is a globe changing exercise that we're going through right now. Do you think that the movie industry, when it all gets back up and running again, is going to be the same after there's we're now seeing a requirement for entertainment movies? If they're going to be seen in the window within which we intended on them being seen in 2020, we're rushing them to streaming now. That's the new trend. Mm. So do you think movie going is going to be the same?
1: That's an interesting question because we've talked about this on the podcast before, but we have seen um, some studios in the past that have – either done a small theatrical run and at the same time it's on VOD I believe that's what happened with Mandy um, and then Annihilation there was like a the- uh, maybe a week of exclusivity maybe two weeks in the theater and then it was immediately on streaming and so we've seen some studios kind of toy around with the idea of putting them out in both places at the same time or at least within a relatively short period of time so it's been experimented with already but not to the degree it is now and not at the scale it is now Mm-hmm. So I think it could potentially open up some possibilities that, you know, the theater experience and the VOD experience are available at the same time um, potentially, but at the same time, I know David has said this before, but, uh, the film industry as a whole, I suspect will be super eager to get back to the status quo and get back to normalcy as quickly as they can.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think theater chains and uh, and movie studios are, are gonna want to see people back in theaters, and I and honestly, no doubt. And I think people are gonna want to be back in theaters w- once they get the uh, you know go ahead with the green light, but you know, it, I think. It, it, Joe's right to at least question to what end this is going to have effect. I mean, I think as with most shifts in most industries, it's going to be the accumulation of lots of different kinds of changes and shocks that will ultimately make the change. You know, and this is a significant event. It's going to be part of that. But we've already been, as Carlos pointed out, we've already been seeing, you know, these kind of experiments with other day and date releasing strategies and, you know, I think, yeah, we'll see more studios playing with it if this goes on for, for a longer time. I have a feeling we might see some more experiments going into the summer and, you know, where they're not going to want to be pushing off every single film to uh, later dates. So I'm sure they'll a lot of the larger ones, they will to try to get the, those big opening weekend box office numbers still. Uh, so, you know, it, it'll be an interesting few months to see things play out. What
1: I find interesting is that we are almost six minutes, almost seven minutes into this episode I, no, and, and no beer has we, been opened. I know. Well, I'm sorry. I think David did open his.
2: What I was going to say was I'm at an interesting fork in the road. I'd like to make one more point in this conversation, but my, my glass is empty and so are yours.
1: All right. What, uh, while we're pouring, what is the point you wanted to make?
2: Well, it's that um, I'm involved in all kinds of Facebook chat groups and other ways that I communicate with other groups of people. I'm seeing all kinds of conversations. It's time for me to finally take the plunge and get Netflix. It's time for me to finally get that uh, Amazon Prime. Don't you believe that the number – I haven't looked at any kind of article on this. Don't you believe that the subscriptions for all kinds of different streaming surfaces are surging through the roof right now?
1: Mm. Um. I wouldn't doubt that Netflix may have won some people back. Um, Maybe some people that were...
0: On Tiger King alone. On Tiger King (laughs) alone.
1: Okay, Uh, have have we all watched it? Joe, have you watched it?
2: I I have begun it. I'm not done, so please, no spoilers. But it's this year's Bird Box for sure. When they get that critical mass, the Stranger Things kind, the Bird Box thing, now with this Tiger King, man, they're dominating everything.
1: I, I agree with joe that it is this year's bird box and the analogy stops and ends with the memeability of the show i feel
0: Mm -hmm. because
1: when bird box came out there were hella bird box memes and my god the tiger king memes are on fire right now
0: oh yeah it's so it's so uh instantly memeable quotable there's there's so many easy i mean it's it's so standout with the standout personalities that are in it so yeah i mean we 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 should probably save that for a different <laughs> – I have a feeling we may want to talk about that series. Let,
2: Let me try to steer us toward where we're going to go. Netflix, uh, there's a Chrome extension Netflix party. We talked last week about doing an Okja uh, Netflix party. We did that oh. in, in, a, in the idea that we would love to discuss, using this time to catch up on things while we stream them, three different Bong Joon-ho films. See what I did? Boom
1: hmm.
0: Yeah. And that's a segue, folks. Well, we did we did put beer in our glasses, but we did not talk about the beer. So before nope. we get to that whole film, uh, Shmori's board that Joe has just uh, set up here. We should say that we are going to be drinking simultaneously, though in different locations. The Oscar Blues Brewery Cano Bliss IPA series. Uh, this is a tropical India pale ale that they do. I don't know that I had had this one before, honestly. I pulled it off the shelf when I was doing some of that, uh, you know, panicked uh, quarantine <laughs> buying, where, like, I need enough crushable craft beer in my cupboard that yeah. I'm going to feel okay with it. I mean, Joe is... Made this statement that my cellar is so deep, it can't. But I can't drink just imperial stouts and eight barrel-aged sours. For, I sure uh, can. Yeah, if I mean, you need Carlos, help, let me know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, Carlos and I are enjoying your uh, middle-of-the-night beer drops at our front porch.
1: I'll tell you what. <laughs> I uh, I don't know what it is, but I have just been ravenously craving peanut butter chocolate stouts. Really? I, just, I don't know what it is, but anytime that I'm not drinking a peanut butter chocolate stout, I wish that I was. <laughs> it's the oddest thing. I'm just a like pretty
0: good one in town right now. I'm just
1: on a peanut butter kick. I think is what it is. I just—I'm obsessed with peanut butter right now. Um, but uh, <laughs> Joe just
0: left. Should we? Should we pause this for a second while we wait for him?
1: No, let's just steer into the skid. Joe abandoned us. We'll okay. air it. <laughs>
0: Uh all right. But no, I hey there but the good thing is is there's some good peanut butter stout options out there for you. Ridiculous. Uh that's, you can still I think that was still on the shelves. It ones. was. I got I I got it yesterday. Nice. Um nice. but
1: I've been I've been wanting that left hand. Uh
0: oh yeah. That that, well that that's is that a peanut butter one? They have
1: Well, there's a peanut butter version of it.
0: Oh, I haven't had that. I okay. haven't
1: either. Uh, I know they got it at Total Wine, But I try to avoid going there unless i absolutely sure. absolutely, yeah. absolutely have to and maybe it'll be oh shit <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, 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 whoa, whoa, deep whoa, whoa. Go into local geography if we continue this conversation no one cares
1: joe came in so hot right there why is your voice <laughs> That's so <hot>? great <laughs> it's kind of oh,
2: this is
0: new technology we're learning it's yeah right. it's
1: leveled back out And <laughs> at first it was <laughs> it's real hot kind of
0: like iron man's talking to us yeah uh, awesome. all right so so we have the can of bliss in our glasses yeah. it looks hazy right it's a it's a nice uh got a little bit of a tropical character in the nose it's i think truth in advertising on the can so we'll sip on this and my glasses wow. is as dirty as ever yeah, it smells, well.
2: it smells and looks promising, and I uh, look forward to crushing this Oscar Blues Cano Bliss.
1: I really, yeah. I mean, I really love this brewery. I feel like it's oh, yeah. uh, often taken for granted, maybe. Um, Definitely. But they do some, uh, they've been doing some really solid stuff. Them and Odell, I feel, both are very strong, strong shelfy options. Yes. So they get right. to
2: that level of success and distribution where. They're always on the shelf for you. And I'm one of those guys that's looking for something I've never had before. So I overlook the two brands often that you just mentioned, Carlos.
1: Well, for sure. And I think, but I think one of the things that makes them so like tried and true and like such a great option is that they have gotten that really big distribution. uh, But that hasn't put them in like a slump or it hasn't. um, Correct. Quality. it hasn't, what's the word I'm looking for, like, stunted their uh, uh, desire to, like, innovate or experiment or N- try nor have things.
0: they. Nor have they chased trends so uh, slavishly that they come off as desperate and uh, flailing. Yeah, like exactly. Somebody... I mean, you so know... They, they've, they've hit that sweet spot.
1: Yeah. You know, they've got Dale's Pale Ale that oh, yeah. holds up. You know, they've got Death by Coconut, they're tried and true kind of things. But then they mm-hmm. do stuff like this, and there's the... The Cannibalist Tropical, and then there's also a, the one that's branded as like a hazy. I think there are two different right. ones. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Anyway, I, I enjoy them a lot. The first film we're They're, talking about, though, I uh, will say
2: their can art does not make the beer leap off the shelf, but that's a very very specific kind of criticism.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I don't I don't feel it, I don't course. feel any kind of way about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the first film we're talking about is a. Uh, cinema darling of the last year, Bong Joon-ho, who we all know at this point, um, he's become a household name because of Parasite, which, you know, did incredible during awards season, very deservedly so. And it has led a lot of people, as we've discussed in the past, including ourselves, to go back into his filmography and watch things that we hadn't seen before. And I think this first film we're talking about is a prime example of that because I would bet that a very, very large percentage of moviegoers as a whole and even a large percentage uh, percentage of quote unquote cinephiles or movie buffs or whatever haven't seen his first film,
2: mm-hmm. which is
1: Barking Dogs Never Bite.
2: Yeah, whenever Parasite came out and the three of us consumed it more than once and loved it, fell in love with it, wanted to know more about this director, I immediately began trying to go back and watching his old work. There are a couple of his works that were very difficult to find and have only just recently, I mean within the last three or four weeks, three weeks, become available. Barking Dogs Never Bite was one of them. This, of course, is his
1: first film. 2000, right, was the year?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, his his first film, feature film as director. He had written a couple films before that, it looks oh, like, okay. uh, but but definitely, and, and done some short films, but... Um, yeah, this is one that I had never seen. I, I was some, you know, I think we talked about this when we reviewed Parasite, but I had seen The Host way back and whatever, we are gonna talk about that shortly in 2006. Um, and I had seen several of his other films since then, but this was one that I had not gone backwards to after seeing The Host or um, or Mother or, you know, any of these other films. So it was, it was cool to take the uh, opportunity to do that. Though I must say, um, of, of all the films of his that I've seen, it is, I'm just going to come out and say it, the least satisfying of them all uh, so far.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think that I disagree with you. It, it I really admired the ability for him to... Um, come up with and craft a compelling story uh given i'm sure a lot of the confines that he was working in like he obviously wasn't going to be able to at his very first film do something like the host you know something with a huge uh list of um locations and sets that needed to be built and special effects and what we have here is a very contained kind of film that mostly takes place in an apartment complex which is easily accessible has you know only a small number of characters nothing too like insane or otherworldly or anything like that but is still able to kind of um come up with a You know, compelling, how compelling it may be is, you know, obviously subjective, but a compelling narrative nonetheless with like real characters that exist in the world and that you can kind of relate to and stuff. Um, And it is like a very impressive feat of uh, like independent filmmaking, kind of like the way that when the Duplass brothers did the Puffy Chair, you know, like that's a very like slightly more expansive because it's kind of like a journey film or whatever, but you know, pretty small, contained you know, mumblecore in that case, this kind of teeters on that or whatever. Um, And so that's impressive. And it's like, you know, just like, I don't know if you've ever seen the bottle rocket short film that Wes Anderson did that got him the feature film for bottle rocket Mm -hmm. and Sundance, but that's a very like rudimentary, almost kind of crass in its like production and aesthetic and uh, execution compared to what he would go on later to do. But you can still see in that, bottle rocket short film what he was going to do there's hints of who he's going to become as an artist later on and i feel like i feel like at this point in time some of the pleasure that comes from this particular film barking dogs never bite is getting to see hints of what he may do in the future
2: a lot of times we're eager to talk about the film and we skip a plot summary let me ask you a quick yes or no question. Should people who haven't seen this movie see this movie?
1: That's a personal choice, I think. <laughs> I mean,
2: so I'm saying would you recommend it as a if you want to know everything about Bong Joon-ho, this is a film to see.
0: Okay, if if the question is should somebody give Bong Joon-ho the time to see all of his films, I think if you're that interested, yes. I mean, if you're interested enough to think you should be, then yes, you should be. But if you're asking me casual movie watcher who doesn't really like parasite okay isn't going to go back and watch everything is this a film to pick up just on a rainy saturday night and stream uh, no it's not I so
2: agree good that. good good answer david uh, but i'm talking to the beer in a movie audience the folks that tolerate our well uh, the,
0: the, the people who uh, want the deep curious, dive on bong joon ho yes this is essential
2: and, and let me tell you why I think it is in the quick plot. It's uh, an out-of-work college professor who is at the end of his rope in many ways. And in somewhere in the courtyard, somewhere among the, the apartment complex that he lives in is a barking dog. He believes that he finds that barking dog and does something he needs, he feels he needs to do to silence that barking dog. Turns out not to be that dog. In the course of that, he meets the apartment I'm just talking about notable characters, the apartment complexes, maintenance man, a, a girl across the street or maybe in the basement that, uh, that runs a uh, Kinko's or a, a photocopy shop, um, his wife, his co-workers. To me, of the films that I've seen of Bong Joon-ho and all full disclosure, I have not seen Mother yet, David, and you've mentioned in episodes past that that was your favorite Bong Joon-ho movie until you saw Parasite. Mm -hmm. Having not seen Mother, this is my favorite one. I completely disagree with you guys. I think that you did say something, David, completely accurate. You are seeing the glimpse—I'm sorry, Carlos, when you mentioned the Bottle Rocket short film example, you're seeing someone who could completely stretch into an amazing filmmaker, and we've seen this director do that. But to me, this is the film closest to Parasite. Human relations— Humans acting in ways that you expect, but they usually don't, but at the same time when they do can create horrific consequences. Really bravado filmmaking, the chase through the apartment, the cinematography on the outdoor shots with the smoke, with the uh, him putting posters up. I think this is a pretty brilliant movie.
0: I could go there with you, Joe. I can see some of those glimmers that you're talking about. I mean, I do think it shot well, I, especially given the budget. I think that um, they used the location of the apartment complex very effectively. I think that some of the performances are, are pretty good. I think especially the young woman who's um, you know, kind of the dim-witted uh, female lead, um, I think the, the good. Copy store, the copy store clerk? Yeah, was that a... I mean, her friend worked at... I don't know. Anyway, but...
2: You're right. Let's not get into it. Yeah, you, I, yeah. I, think I, you're I think she was a right. main. think You were conflating
0: to... Yes, right. But that's... But the point is, all of those things are good, but the story, the story here is not, for me... Uh, it didn't draw me in in the way like starting off the bat, f- having me follow that lead male character, the failed grad student. Well, the grad student who's an aspiring professor who's trying to, you know, get his first academic position. That should be a character I can relate to right off the bat. I mean, I'm I'm, you know, that that's my uh, my profession. But I just could not that character at all. I didn't get the. You know, him being desperate about the dog thing, they didn't, I don't think it was built up effectively. I think I needed at least another five minutes of development where he gets actually hassled by the dog or like it's interrupting him as he's writing his dissertation or something, you know, like I needed something to motivate his actions towards the dog and happen right off the bat it just didn't grab me. I mean I'm like I don't care about this character. I did find the female lead somewhat sympathetic and that you know okay obviously she's concerned about the, the well-being of these dogs and trying to you know find match them back with their owners. But I, I don't know. I ultimately never got into the basic story and that male lead c- character I never stood. I didn't I didn't and I understood some of it like when he was frustrated with the with his um, wife in the uh you know the the oncoming child and her I don't I mean there were bits in there that I like but it just did not pull together in the way that his films usually do he can sell me almost any character in his other films and and we'll talk yeah. about plenty of examples on you know I think as the episode goes on but this film was a big failure for me that way I mean I just did, I never that lead the primary lead character was ever relatable he's who I start with he's he's who I end with almost
2: yeah. I, do, I don't feel the requirement of arguing with you about it. I totally, <laughs> you know, I totally understand where you're coming from. It's almost as if it's almost as if you go to a friend's house and the the the, the recipe, the spice mixture that they use just isn't for you, but right. you can see that they're a good cook. Whatever this recipe was, and he uses so many of these ingredients in parasite. I have a list here. We could probably move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see. Minimally, you have to agree with me, this filmmaker can do some great things. And for that reason alone, I think, seeing Bong Joon-ho, who I can't wait to see what he comes up with next. Mm -hmm. I'm all in on Bong Joon-ho. To see the origination, that's the exciting thing, I think, for any real real deeper film fans.
0: I agree. I think that you can see lots of different elements. I mean, as I was watching it with, you know, Aaron saying like, oh, look, another basement dwelling uh, Uh set of characters who are, you know, I mean, he's there's consistency. There's some things that you can definitely draw lines from in this film. And it's a good film. Again, I think for somebody who truly is charmed, won over, you know, by Parasite, I think going back to this with the idea that I want to see how this filmmaker developed, I think this would be it is a rewarding experience that way. It's just from its standalone, this film on its own didn't work as well for me. The The only other thing I'll mention there about that, the tone of the film seemed a little strange. I think somewhat with the music selection w- was part of a problem for me. It was kind of a, I don't know, almost like a color by numbers kind of classical music selection that was going on throughout it that didn't really, I don't know, it it didn't work as well as a lot of the music does in his other films for me. And it it kind of, there was a weird sort of, if I was seeing that and I was thinking, what's this guy going to make next? I would think he's maybe going to go on some path where he's going to be a quirky like Woody Allen, Todd Salons-esque kind of exploring quirky human relationships through dark comedy slash, you know, that, that's what I would have said was the template for this filmmaker based on that film alone. And I'm happy to say he has a huge amount of uh, tricks in his bag that go beyond that. He's got range. He's got range. I uh, I actually did like the music a little bit. All right. Well, good. I mean, I don't think it was terrible. I just didn't. The, the it seemed a little on the nose at times, like the and, the and some of that your criticism be...
2: could be about budget, Carlo, uh, David. Mm-hmm. Uh, he may he may not have had the budget to go too deep.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Right, anyway. it, it def- yeah. So, but it sounds like so for a couple of us for for Carlos and I, maybe not a huge, um, but but you know both both of us find some things in there. We like Joe, a big fan. And I'm happy that one of us was because that's, uh, you know, again, I think for our listeners, a lot of them are going to want to go back anyway. So, so they'll get to see where they fall on that spectrum. Um, but, um, you know, a few years later, and this was, you know, there were a couple films in between and we aren't going to look at those right now and who knows, maybe someday we'll get back. But, uh, you know, it was in, what, 2002 or 2003, Memories of Murder, which I know Joe has watched. I have not seen that one, actually. I haven't. Um, yeah. And, and then there was a film that he wrote in between two and 2005. But the next feature length film that he directed and wrote was The Host in 2006.
2: And this is one that got at least uh, maybe not its name, but made a big critical splash across the world
0: correct right yeah
2: people in the horror genre monster genre uh typically hold the host in high regard
0: right and i think that's a key there right that this this was a film that really sort of introduced him to beyond just sort of um well korean audiences and beyond maybe people who would seek out international fair maybe at some film festivals to people who were you know monster movie aficionados and that and that is a significant audience around the world so this film kind of played to a wider audience <laughs> I'm
1: trying to cover his microphone i tried to yeah we still heard you it's all right yeah that's all right um,
2: Ace loves sunday afternoon because that's when we record these and that's when she knows she's going to taste at least two amazing beers <laughs>
1: yeah, that's fair that's fair that's, that's a good, good reason to get excited uh so, yeah so carlos you want to synopsize this one the host yeah. Um Yeah, it's really I mean it's really interesting. Um and especially we'll get in probably a little bit to like reception and how people felt about it at the time or whatever. But basically the premise is um a you know, because the United States is like the largest imperialist nation that's ever existed. We have military bases all over the world. South Korea being one of those locations. And there is a Scientist working in a lab affiliated with the United States uh, Armed Forces of some sort, military, uh, who orders his lab assistant to dump a bunch of really toxic, like old formaldehyde, down the sink, which drains into the Han River. And there's this really fantastic shot that seems never ending of all these empty formaldehyde bottles that have been poured, and um, basically pouring all of this toxic waste into the river we find out later on has created this monstrous squid, like creature amphibious, you know, monstrous monstrosity, mm-hmm. um, that at a certain point decides, okay, now it's time for me to, uh, come out of the depths of the Han river and kill as many people as I can. Uh, mm-hmm. and so this monster, you know, wreaks terror upon, um, um, the city of Seoul, it takes place in Seoul, right? I don't think it's ever Mm -hmm. explicitly stated.
0: Um, Well, I Uh, think with the Han river there, I think that's the key. Yeah. yeah,
1: That's what I thought too. I even Googled it and everything to make sure, but I I do not want to speak out of turn. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're right. Okay. So, yeah. And so then that happens and, but it affects, you know, one family that we've met before the monster appears specifically. And so basically, yes, it is a monster movie, but it is mostly a movie about a father, trying to find his missing daughter who the monster has taken captive. And right? It's, like a um, rescue
0: mission kind of film.
1: Yeah. And it's uh it's homeboy from parasite that plays the dad of the poor family. <laughs> I, yep. I will never be able to memorize. or Maybe I will at Song some point, Kang but, Ho. but it is difficult for me to memorize their name, <laughs> their names. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any, you know, it, it, it's really interesting. Cause when I was watching barking dogs, never bite, which was, a few hours ago, uh, non-Latin-based languages are perplexing. Like oh, I was watching the credits, and I was like, "Holy! This is just like another fucking like world from what I'm mm-hmm. I, used to." Yeah. So it, David, f- for me, the it's the so three of
2: us, David is David is definitely the best of, of that. Uh, you're talking about Song Kang Ho. Yes. And I, I, don't, I don't. And I only uh, want to appear as the authority that I am because I've got Wikipedia in front of me.
1: You know, uh, and but, it's he's. He, his role in this movie is so interesting because, I mean, I saw him in Parasite and that was probably the first movie that I saw him in where I really, really strongly took note of him in like a memorable cool. way. I but w- during Parasite, I was like, this guy looks really familiar. I know I've seen him somewhere before, but I couldn't place where. Now, if I see him anywhere, I'm like, oh yeah, that's the dude from Parasite. That's the dude from Snowpiercer. It's the dude from The Host. Um, mm-hmm. But the character he's playing in this movie. He's got like bleach blonde hair. He's like asleep all the time. <laughs> total, he's such a fucking bum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so weird.
0: Like Though Abe snap into it when he, I mean, it's an interesting character because he is this kind of like down and out slacker. But he's kinda um, old to be that character. He's yeah, like well at the time, but then after, he was in his thirties. Yeah. Right? He was like 33, 34. I mean that that was I think I think it was the right role at the right time. Okay. For, for that you know and he i just I hasn't think, aged you know, i think is the problem
1: well then like, he has he has
2: an innate he has an enabling father yeah in the right film and of course this film is is a completely different film if the central action of it that creates the ability for the character we're talking about to transform into something greater when his daughter the uh, shopkeeper who, and again, it's a shopkeeper. It's so well done. It's a little tiny shopkeeper, a convenience mm-hmm. store keeper on the banks of the Han River. What and do they call it? A, point,
0: a food stand or something like that? Yeah, it's basically yeah. The, the right. It's like if you had like a little snack shack. There's just a, like a specific yeah, word whatever, for yeah. it that they use. Right. The yeah. Where, where, a it's bodega. Where
2: it's where you'd buy a hot meal and sunscreen. You know, whatever. Yeah. Right. And so on the Han River, there's this whole tourist area. And the reveal of the grown creature, because we do see a, I think a pretty brilliant, uh, the, the creature exists moment when two fishermen catch that little creature as a tadpole.
1: Oh yeah, that as, part's as, crazy.
2: As I'm as I'm to understand what's being presented. Oh but yeah. Then that little several years later, that thing's grown up into a Godzilla, and it's um, hanging out, hanging from a bridge over the Han River.
1: The Wuhan it, bridge. I, this yeah.
2: beautiful scene, this like panoramic scene of the tourists that are sitting on the banks of the Han River, sunbathing, playing football, whatever. Uh, they would go to this little bodega to get their you know, fried squid.
1: Yeah, which sounds and, great, by the way.
2: And, he, and, and the, the presentation from zero to 60 and the way that it's done and the way that the creature presents its powers is brilliant. It's, it's the landmark of the film
1: yeah Mm -hmm. it's crazy and um, one of the great things about this movie oh and the
2: daughter is kidnapped that was my point the daughter is kidnapped which leads us into the rest of the action of the film
1: well actually she appears to have been eaten right that's that's what we're first to believe that she was eaten and then later on she manages to call her dad from this like sewer like
0: cavernous
1: like whatever it is Uh, it's just Mm -hmm. a big pit Um, and then they're like, oh no, she's alive. We have to go find her. Um, but one of the things that this, uh, movie does well that can, now this is a thing that can make or break a movie. I feel, um, there, there are some examples that come to mind of it breaking the film, but in this case it works really well. You see the monster like right away. Like Mm -hmm. there's no like, what is it? Or No. no, like, you know. I mean, there is a little bit, but it's not like for, you know, the first hour, all we're seeing is like overhead shots of a black mass underneath the water swimming really fast or any kind of shit like that. It's like, there's the thing here. It is up close. We're in it. Let's go. You know, and that's something that can, especially in the monster movie genre can work against you to a great deal. It can to a certain degree, eliminate a lot of the suspense that you're trying to create. And we've seen it happen before, but this movie just shows you right away. And it's like, we're not fucking playing around. This is it. This movie is about more than just a monster. There's more layers to this. Here we go.
0: Right. And I think the reason it can get away with it so easily, from my perspective, is that it has a great story of a family sort of built around it that really works. As I was watching this, right, I was I was rewatching this yesterday afternoon. It was which we're recording this on Sunday. So it was a Saturday afternoon. And growing up, there was a show on um, a local, uh, well, out of Boston uh, television network that would do a creature double feature. They would show these old you know, creature-driven monster movies. And I used to love it when I was a kid. Didn't really understand the films all that well because it was really like when I was five, six, seven. Um, but it was really fun to watch a film like that on a Saturday afternoon again at home and thinking about how this film was so much better than those films in that I actually understood the characters and their motivations. I really enjoyed watching their scenes of, you know, the dialogue exchanges they had. There's some really great dialogue in there, really wonderful acting. You know, again, I think, uh, you know, we've already kind of singled out the, uh, um, you know, work of Song Kang-ho in in the film. I think he was great. byung Kibong as the dad who shows up also in Okja which we'll talk about in a little bit here um, and uh, and had been in Memories of Murder, so like he's he's got some people who he loves working with, you know. That I'm talking about Bong here had some people yeah. he loved working with, and he got some great performances out of them. Uh, Bay Duna as the uh, the sister who's the archer, which was fantastic. I mean, how great is that? Setting it up with that archery competition, they're yeah. watching her getting the bronze medal, and then you knew that was gonna, cut, and it does. It's oh, yeah, that's absolutely. just absolutely that.
1: That is expert screenwriting. That is a yeah. masterclass in screenwriting. Beautiful.
0: Beautiful. I
2: mean, David David when you watched them watching her on television at the very beginning of the film you believed mm-hmm. there would be a payoff because to me it, it that felt like a throwaway scene and that Carlos I be- I agree with you that's master screenwriting because those uh, machina the, the idea that we've got to put this piece up here at the beginning so that it can pay off in the end those usually come off as so crappy oh, yeah they but, can but,
0: they can well it didn't hammer it over i mean yeah you're right no, you know, perfect. I, I don't think i don't think it was hitting you over the head with it i think it set up the character in some ways and you kind of but no when i was seeing it the first time i wasn't thinking oh this is going to be how that you know we, we end the monster you know yeah so i think the thing that makes it so good is that like Joe said, it doesn't
1: hammer you over the head with it. And a perfect like example of how that works, like with an audience is like, I noticed it like when it happened, you know what I mean? Like I was mm-hmm. in the beginning, I was like paying attention to like what was going on. And I saw that scene and I was like, oh, man, like, you know, so disappointed that she was so close and like, whatever. Right. I don't know if, She got up to go to the bathroom or like what was going on. But Kylie missed that archery televised competition completely. So when it happened at the end, I was like, oh shit, that's so good. And she was like, Mm -hmm. what are you talking about? And I was like, you didn't see it earlier. And she was like, no. And I, so I explained it to her and she was like, oh yeah, that is pretty good. But if if it was executed poorly, it would have been like, oh, of course this happened. We saw right. it so much. They like pointed it out so much in the beginning. Yeah. Um, all right, fine. But it because it was, it almost appeared to be a throwaway scene. It's that right. subtlety that kind of just like, I want to put well, this here and of- walk away.
2: For the purposes of the script, it was their distraction to not knowing on the not knowing the carnage that was going on outside. Right. Yes. In the
0: yeah. Song, exactly. So it 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 gets kind of downplayed in that it is the counterpoint to this huge, horrific event that's going on all around them. And, yeah, you're you're kind of as an audience aware of the dramatic irony. They care what's going on in this trailer that they're in watching this TV, uh, yeah. you know, match. You know, really, they should be worried about their lives and. T- yeah. And, and and I think
1: that's another thing that makes that so good, as far as like the execution and the screenwriting is concerned, is because our focus as the, an audience in that moment is on this monster like killing people in dozens or whatever, and right. we are aware of what's going on inside the bodega or you know whatever it is, them watching TV. But at the time, we're like, oh shit, this thing has shown up. Nobody knows what to do. Everything is like mm-hmm. super fucked right now. Like you know, whatever. But, you know, like I said, it does pay off in a meaningful way at some point. One thing I'll say is I don't know how she survived that when she gets like thrown against the, I thought she was dead as dead could be uh, at that point. Very surprised to see her get up. Now, I, you know, we've talked a lot about this movie already, um, without getting to, I think, I think it's clear that we all really enjoyed it. Am I wrong in that assessment? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Big fan. Because um, none of us had, a, we got so wrapped up in talking about the sure, pieces. Sure. We, we didn't make a
0: pronouncement. Yeah. And yeah, no, None of us declared. Filmmaking, if you like bong, if you like monster movies, if you even just like fun, pulse-pounding action films, yeah. give it a stop. All those things. There was one thing that I had a problem with. Mm
1: and maybe you guys can explain it to me. Maybe I just missed something. Uh, I hope I that that's the case. Too. Um, when agent yellow is released,
0: mm-hmm.
1: none of the family seems to be affected by it. A lot of the There's protesters and other things like that, they're just like dropping dead, uh, right. like freaking out, like serious problems, uh, but the family just seems to be chilling, throwing Molotov cocktails, doing the damn thing, like, you know, getting getting busy. Uh, and so, I mean, while I was watching, I was like, okay, maybe, like, there's something about the monster and it's, like, some chemical it, it excretes that maybe gives you some kind of immunity to this agent yellow situation accidentally. I mean, I was just trying to kind of come up with reasons in my head why that would happen or why that would be the case in the film, the context of the film. But I just thought that was kind of like, and I get it. Like I'm not, I am very much about the rules, but every Mm -hmm. now and then for the sake of the storytelling, I can allow something to go by if it really is like, that nitty nitpicky of a thing, you know? Um, but I, but the whole time it was happening, I was like, wait, shouldn't they be like sick as fuck right now? Like (laughs) they're Mm -hmm. like in the thick of this, like what? I I don't know. I just, I found that part kind of strange, but other than that, I really enjoyed the whole thing. And it was the kind of movie where at the end of it, I mean, there obviously is a lot that it's saying. And I referenced the reception of it earlier when we first started the discussion and I find it to be quite hilarious that North Korea really enjoyed the film because mm-hmm. it seemed to be, you know, somewhat critical of the U.S.'s S's tendencies tendencies um, yeah. and their lack of giving a fuck about what they do to the people where their bases are stationed and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the kind of film where at the end of it, we both just looked at each other and we're like, yeah, it was really good. you know it wasn't anything like oh that was really good but you know whatever
0: yeah
2: i'm gonna answer your criticism carlos with how i feel that dave feels when you and i gang up on him about breaking the (laughs) rules didn't bother me that that one just didn't bother me at all and i can't Mm -hmm. tell you why there's no recipe for it but um I didn't even notice the what what as you mentioned it is clearly kind of maybe a a break in the screenwriting. For me, the only flaw, and I forgive the flaw before I even say it out loud, is that the effects are effects, and you can notice mm, their yeah. effects often. And that's budget, and I I don't care one bit. It's not mm. it's an empty it's an empty criticism.
0: It was two thousand six. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, if anything, I was kind of surprised at how well they had held up for me, having, you know, again, I don't think I had rewatched it since I had seen it around 2006. And so seeing it now, like, I, I can see what you're talking about, Joe. I mean, it's not quite where we are now. And certainly, even then, given the budget, it probably wasn't where some films were. But, uh, but it didn't distract me at all, and I found the creature. I think the creature is actually nicely designed. I mean, I think there's some yeah. uh, Geiger influence in there, maybe with you know w- w- the way that it's yes, and it all comes um, back to Yoderowski's Dune. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> we've learned. We've learned. Good call. And, and it really probably does. It's it. So I I enjoyed that, and you know, Carlos, I don't have a great response to yours in that. I think it did kind of strike me a little bit this time watching it. I don't remember it the last time, but but even so, like, um, you know, he does end up. He there is some blood trickling from his ears. It seems to have some effect. It's just maybe not as maybe he didn't get blasted as closely with it. I don't know. I mean, like, I I could make up excuses, but really, my response is more like Joe's. I really just didn't care at that point. I knew that the family had to triumph in some way, and so. They, they were going to. So I was happy to see it. But, but it does, uh, you know, I think uh, uh, we don't really use a scale here, but a resounding watch this one, even if you're not interested in investigating the whole oeuvre of Bong Joon-ho. This is a film that I think anybody could sit down to on a Friday or Saturday night um, it is R, so you can't do it with the family, but you know, like, cause there, I mean, there's probably some, could. there's some intense graphic kind of the, the child endangerment, I think might be a little bit too much for some kids, but I think like, a, I think, that. I think like if like you have kids
1: that are like preteens and on probably oh, sure. can, yes. but like, no, I, th-
0: I think. I think 12, 13-year-olds and on. This would be a good PG-13-er. I think yeah. that a, a true PG-13-er, yeah. yeah. We don't even usually get into that much, but I was actually <laughs> thinking about watching this <laughs> with, well, with I'm, i the girls and, uh, and opted not to, and I was kind of happy because I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember how much that girl's in trouble and the boy, and yeah. I, that, that might be a little intense. The scenes well, in the was, like,
1: pit are kind of intense.
0: Yeah.
2: I was looking for an excuse to drop this anecdote, but my daughter, 14 years old, is using this stay-at-home thing, to uh, watch Bong Joon-ho movies. I'm not kidding you. Mm-hmm. So we all of the ones that I watched in prep for this episode, I watched with her. Mm-hmm. She and her friends did a uh, watch party, I don't know how they did it because it's not on Netflix, with uh, Parasite last night. Oh, cool. So uh, I've got a 14-year-old Bong Joon-ho devotee in the house, and mm. she, li- she liked this movie the most behind Parasite. Oh, cool.
1: that's cool right. i uh you know i co-sign her taste in music uh from what i've seen <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and so it's great to hear that uh,
0: right.
2: coronavirus bringing families together since
1: 2020 since 2020 yeah. sure thing
0: right and hopefully confining itself to 2020 yeah,
1: what, what
0: do you what do you guys think about this can of bliss that we just drank as we were uh, chatting about this uh these couple films two films
1: it's a top tier shelfie, as far as i'm concerned
0: Yeah, Yeah,
2: It it defines shelfie, David. Um, There is a hint of tropical flavors. The can does not reveal what they used to create those.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: But other than that hint of tropical flavors, this is an IPA that the price of the six-pack justifies as being in your refrigerator, maybe out in the garage, all of the time.
1: Yeah,
0: Yeah, solid
2: solid IPA. Thanks 7.2%. For, uh, that's yeah.
0: you know, that, that's a bargain. I'm what, happy. Is it a $10 six pack? I think it might be 8.99 to be honest. Oh, dang. I I think it's wow, at least here, se- you know. I, well, Oscar Blues is is one of those that the price point has always been kind of on the low end of the craft yeah. range. I mean, for a sub $10 six pack, you can't beat it. Yeah, you really can't. Yeah. Well, we'll see when we get back. We're going to crack another and uh, we will dip into an even more recent film of Bong Joon-ho's that some of you may have uh, watched along with us when we return.
1: We are back for the second half of the episode. Half Um, of the
0: episode under the gun.
1: Under the gun. Very small time frame.
2: I'm pointing the gun at you and saying, I just want to talk Bong Bong Jun ho
0: Okay. Absolutely. Let's let's talk- Oh, but before we get to talk more Bong Joon-ho, we need to make sure we do not repeat the sin of the first segment where we didn't get any beer into our glass for like a good six or seven minutes. Let's let's get these beers cracked open. This is a a second.
2: The studio, the studio audience at uh, my house demands it.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> so this one is coming from Sun Lab. Uh, Sun Lab is out of. Miami, Florida, but this is a beer that was brewed and canned by Westbrook Brewing Company in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Who are you Carolina. doing that for, Joe? We've had Westbrook uh, on, the, on the podcast before, but this apparently is Sun Labs' recipe that they had Westbrook do for them. Uh, this is their Blackout Days. It is a pastry stout brewed with cinnamon, molasses, cloves, ginger, and lactose. It is 8% alcohol by volume, and... Uh, Let's get these open.
2: We had Westbrook back in episode 58. We had their Velvet Tuxedo. Anybody remember what we yeah. watched with that?
0: Shoot. Mm, what don't. did we watch? You don't. Joker. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Why did we waste it on a terrible. No. Um, so. <laughs> that's. Uh, yeah, fuck that movie. What... <laughs>
2: There's a lot of adjuncts listed on the side of this can, David.
0: There sure are. Do, are you getting any in the nose? You getting some of that cinnamon? Oh, yeah, I get some cinnamon. Yeah, A little bit definitely. of the cloves. Do you definitely. guys ever smoke clove
1: cigarettes?
2: A couple of times back when, uh, you know, I was desperate to be cool in uh, 10th grade, 9th grade.
1: No. See, okay, I, was I was doing it getting... in college.
0: Really? Wow. I thought, yeah, yeah I thought it was real
1: cool. Yeah.
0: See that when uh, when you're a dirt bag from Westbrook, Maine, you you start earlier. It's probably ninth grade for me. Just just to put it out there, got over that phase quickly though.
2: Well, we have a new slogan or nickname for you, the dirt bag from
0: Maine. <laughs> I'm hey, I'm am a Westbrook dirt bag through. That's that's just who I am. Uh, <laughs> but a, but a Westbrook dirt bag who has definitely gotten high on craft beer recently. And, uh, and there's a lot of great Westbrook uh, beers out there with the mass landing. We've had some of their stuff. So.
2: Yeah, we like them. Um, this. So we're drinking an 8% pastry stout loaded with adjuncts. Cinnamon, molasses, cloves, ginger, lactose.
0: It is black and as drink. night.
2: And it smells delicious.
0: Yeah. So let's sip on that and get ourselves in the mood here to talk about Experience with this uh, experiment that we um, we put out there for our listeners and for ourselves with this new Netflix party um, add-on that, that you can do through your Chrome browser.
2: Yeah, it was last Friday. We hosted a Netflix party. Uh, Netflix is a Okja, which we'll discuss in a little while. Is a Netflix production, so streaming. It just it the the it all made sense. And uh, several folks that listened to the show and just friends of ours showed up and partied with us. What Mm -hmm. did y'all think of that? Now, I had already done that. I talked to you about my experience watching The Dirt with some high school friends last week. This was y'all's first Netflix party. What did you think? Was it a party?
1: Um, Well, first and foremost, an apology to uh, regular listener Anthony, friend of the show, former guest, uh, for the lack of bickering. (laughs) Uh, he expected a little more uh banter from us but okay i'll give my critique first it would be nice if i could be watching the film through like the netflix app on like your roku or your fire stick or whatever Uh it is you're using and then have the chat on your computer uh that would be cool or your chat
0: on your phone on
1: your phone yeah something like that um but right now it's like you, you're watching on your computer and there's a little sidebar to right. the right that has the chat. Um, I, I liked it quite a bit. I, I had a good time. I mean, I, I thought that uh, it was cool that some people showed up to, to watch it with us. Um, definitely. And uh, you know, getting to, um, <laughs> Getting to hear some of uh, Joe's commentary, a different uh, somewhat adolescent humor, mo- uh, humorous moments in the in the film was funny. Uh, yeah. and, and I think, you know, Kylie, when we were watching, it was kind of like, this is such a weird concept you would never talk during a movie cause I wouldn't. And I have, she has gotten mad at me for being rude to people at movie theaters who are talking. Right. And like, or like there was someone in the row behind us once at Alamo that was using the bright ass flashlight on their phone to like, look at their check. And I like turned around and like, like snapped at him real hard. And was like, it was like, Hey, fucking quit it. You know? Uh, yeah. and I've definitely told people close to me, like, Hey, shut up. You know, like I didn't come yeah. to hear you talk. But I think because it's not an audio thing and you're just kind of like you can just type a little something something every now and then and like, you know, whatever. And so it makes it so that you can talk during movies without being intrusive or without ruining the experience. And I thought it was kind of cool. I thought it was kind of fun.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you, uh, Carlos. I I found it to be fun. Um, I do think it is something that I I'm glad it was the second viewing of Oakjaw for me. Let's Mm, put it that way. Like, if if I was watching a movie for the first time, maybe with some exception, I mean, if it was a film that I knew was going to be sort of so bad, it's good, that kind of situation going into it, then maybe I'd be okay with going into it, doing the party chat thing. But... If it's a film that I really wanted to pay attention to some of the details the first time through, I think I would find it a little bit more distracting and a little less uh, fun. But but it was but actually there were some, you know some things that we shared there and that some of our listeners uh, who jumped on shared that you know enhanced the film in various ways. You know, talking about the appearance of certain actors or. Mm-hmm. Um, you know c- certain interesting shots that w- that were in there or you know i th- How, i think it's it's fun to kind of call attention to certain details that may not hit everybody the same way but then when you're sitting there watching it with somebody who does that that's kind of nice
1: yeah i mean i How think you- that i think there were some moments in it that so clearly resembled some of our favorite films that nobody would have pieced together but i mean obviously you know just like any movie that's come out in the last 15 years, there is some clear Sahara influence uh, <laughs> in, uh, you know, in some of the storytelling that's taking place. And
2: how did Joe, how do you watch, how do each of you watch uh, a uh, Google Chrome extension? You got to be watching it on Google on your big screen. Wait, yeah. what? Well, do, were you watching it on your big screen uh, on your main television in your home? Or were you watching it on a computer uh, on on a computer
1: screen well i i was watching on my laptop kylie and i were watching it on my laptop and Mm. she got kind of annoyed by it and so she turned it on the tv on netflix like via the like roku app on netflix and we actually you were able to sync it up almost perfectly it was insane uh it didn't take a lot of effort Uh, not as much as I expected at least. And I got to the point where I was just looking at my computer and the sound coming from the TV was, if it wasn't exactly synced up, it was close enough that it was not discernible, the difference. Uh, And Uh. so I I continued to watch it on the laptop, you know, keeping up with the, the chat conversation and Kylie watched it on the TV.
0: Cool. David? Yeah. So I, I had my laptop connected via HDMI to the television we have in our living room. And so Erin was watching with me, but she was mostly watching the large screen. And for her, the text was too small to really be able to read very well in okay. um, the dialogue. I was positioned closer to the actual laptop so that I could kind of be interjecting here and there um, as, as things came to me or as people posted things that I thought were fun to respond to. So that that was so I was kind of watching both the large screen at times and then, you know, kind of looking down at my smaller laptop screen. But I, I, what Carlos said at the beginning, it would be wonderful if I could get it set up so that I was doing the chat like on my phone and watching the, uh, the film itself just in an unfettered way on the bigger screen. I think that would be nice.
2: Yeah, right. I if I had, one person has to start the Netflix party among the three of us. I took that task. So I started it on my computer, my desktop. Mm-hmm. And then used a laptop to HDMI into the smart TV. And when I, I figured that I would watch the movie on the couch, and then if I felt like I needed to maybe make a comment on the party, I'd walk over to the computer. But you're right, David. The, scr- the, the text on the screen was so small that I found myself sitting at the computer watching it on one screen while everyone else in the house was watching it on the mm-hmm. big screen. So yeah. there's flaws there's flaws to the Netflix party I think even if we haven't verbalized them it's not a, a one size fits all for everybody who's using Netflix on their television yeah. because of the because of the Google Chrome extension you've got to perhaps macgyver this thing a little bit
1: Yeah it's right. not it's not perfect but I think that it is I you know I think that I think the issues that we're running into come from the fact that we are using it in a way that it is not necessarily meant to be used. I feel like it's meant to be used by one person who is, you know, trying to connect with other people as well. Like Joe, you were trying to watch it with like four people, right?
0: Oh, right, right. And
1: in the house, house, yeah, right. It was you and then three other people. And then David was trying to watch it with a partner. I was trying to watch it with a partner. And so once you start kind of doing that thing where you're trying to use Netflix Mm -hmm. party with a person who isn't necessarily involved in the party aspect of the Netflix experience that you're having, that's when some of those issues come up. But if it's just one person, like if it's just the three of us right now, exactly as we're recording this podcast, it makes total sense. It works perfectly. And, um, but yeah, if you are trying to be engaged with the party, but also let other people watch the film with you. It can present some obstacles that need MacGyvering.
2: It has a a function, no doubt. Now we were watching Okja. Yeah. This is uh, the film that immediately precedes Parasite. What year did that come out? Does anybody remember?
1: It was 2017.
2: Okay. And it was released on Netflix as a Netflix production.
1: Yes. And uh, I, I, I know I've mentioned this before, but this was a movie that was recommended to me by a lot of different people. and But not because it was like, oh, it's, uh, it's Bong Joon-ho. You need to know this director. It was just like, oh, this is a really good movie, like a really good Netflix original you need to watch. But something about it was like, oh, this looks like an anime. I'm not into anime, whatever. Um, I know I've said that before. But after the sc- screening of it, I think I even said in the chat, I can't believe it took me this long to watch it because mm-hmm. it, I mean, as we were discussing in the chat, the cast of characters is chef's kiss top tier.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, I, I, I love this film uh, when I saw it the first time and I loved getting to rewatch it. I mean, I, I think one of the first things I, I posted about the film as it was playing was, you know, it opens up with Tilda Swinton and just one of her Brevara performances where she's just, totally like this kind of, I mean, she's just so amazing in any role that she takes on, but she's yeah. always so different and like just a, you know, always able to hit these weird registers that I would never expect and playing this kind of like strangely chipper CEO of this mega food conglomerate that's has you know, has these super pigs and seeing her do this like huge press conference where it's going to be this, you know, um, this, this big new moment in industrial farming, but, th- but trying to put this nice veneer on it. Kind of setting the stage for the story you know what's strange to me watching it again i do not remember that opening as much i remember almost being confused by why am i like paying attention to these people out in rural uh korea having this like i don't know something didn't connect with me the first time but seeing it this time it was perfect i mean i knew exactly what was going on. I think I was just paying better attention to it because I knew I had to comment on it too. So, <laughs> yeah. so maybe there's there's actually a, uh, a you know, I was saying earlier that it'd be better to watch a film for the first time without this, but I was paying attention to it in ways because I wanted to be able to respond to what other people were saying or if I had uh, comments to make. I wanted to understand them.
1: Yeah, for sure. I I mean, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, that having that kind of conversational aspect to watching a movie uh, the back and forth kind of thing does um, incentivize a certain level of attention that maybe if you were just by yourself, I, uh, but I don't know, this is also, this is also slightly biased because I'm the, I'm the kind of person that in general, like in all aspects of my life, um, I am bettered by having somebody to answer to. <laughs> um, you know like if i'm doing something totally isolated independent in a vacuum and it's just me and nobody you know like i am more likely to slack off or to like dick around mm-hmm. or whatever but if i know that somebody's like counting on me or somebody's expecting something from me that does kind of increase my level of like effort or attention or like whatever the case yeah. may be depending on what we're doing yeah. so for me i mean that that was definitely cool um you know, we talked about the effects in the host in the first part of this episode, mm-hmm. uh, the effects in this are great. Um, it gave me this, like, I don't know if you guys ever watched avatar, the last airbender, but I definitely had some kind of like flashbacks to that. Just in the way that the super the, pig is. designed. Are you talking
0: about the, the film version or the television, series? the television series? Okay. We don't talk about the film version. Uh, well, I sorry, I didn't mean to bring it no, up, but, the, but that was, there was a live action film made on by M Night Shyamalan right?
1: Ding Dong. Yeah, that was not well received. Uh, mm-hmm. No, the cartoon was was really good, but the creature in the cartoon that they like fly around on kind of reminded me in certain ways of the Super Pig. Super okay. Pig, great band name. Uh, Joe.
2: Yeah, I had a note that the effects that I was critical of in the host are certainly remedied here. He had the money to do it correctly, and the effects are incredible. In fact, during the Netflix party, when the super pig, Okja, is running through a uh, Korean mall, or shopping mall, or vendor mall, and knocking things over, are those practical effects with the oh, yeah. effect, with the digital effects put in after the fact, or is it all digital on a, some kind of big green screen? You couldn't tell. The effects were so perfect
1: yeah that's in a, the that's, movie i hadn't uh, thought about that and i, and I think i think that's a testament to how good the effects are that i didn't think about it that cool, i was just I'm like right. yeah I mean, this is happening yeah. seamless
2: yeah and mm-hmm. we haven't talked plot a, a, a global food conglomerate has raised super pigs around the world that can uh give a mass amount of meat and a little girl has raised one of these with her grandfather, and. Uh, feels that the pig's life is in danger when it's called back to participate in a pageant of super pigs and she goes on a, a venture across the world to save her pet
0: mm-hmm. and
2: assisted really by paul
0: dano and crew
2: and and right and right she we ends up meeting we some food
0: activists and or some animal activists yeah we
2: haven't mentioned and i know Carlos she'll want to jake gyllenhaal is in the film and <sighs> You were gushing last night. I, I know that this is one of your boy
0: crushes, along with Shia. Oh.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. Jake Jellenhall is the
0: man. Like all five foot eleven of him. I was. He's only. I, I mean, was curious. That's just not short. There's no, was, no, 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 no. But th- there's a. Th- th- this is a side note. But if anybody is <laughs> interested, there is a fantastic episode of a podcast. series. I'm going to blank on the name of I'll try to make sure that we get the link posted that goes into this mystery of apparently there was a time where it was almost impossible to find a good reliable source on how tall Jake Gyllenhaal is like <laughs> past host tracked down Jake Gyllenhaal to try to get him to admit like how t- is he and he, he's something like five foot eleven and three quarters but tries to get away with being six feet sometimes just a, anyway that I it's it's totally a joke and it move on that's really funny (laughs) yeah but here's here's where you can here's where we can really open
2: a conversation about the social commentary that bong joon ho is putting into his films it may be subtle like the uh pollution in the han river is what could cause a mutation that could unleash on humans it may be not so subtle but class systems and the paradigms Mm -hmm. that we saw in parasite but here you're seeing a full-blown, I imagine it's the director, or he, he co-wrote the film, assault on, in my opinion, uh, the industrial food system when it comes to meat preparation and production. It is. Uh, it moves into a take the super pigs out and put cows in their place, kind of some of the what m- many consumers may not know about the industrialized food system or some of the aspects of the industrialized food system that we close our eyes to on purpose, so we feel comfortable eating the products.
0: Yeah, um, it it is true that almost every uh, industrial farmed cow has a little girl who helped raise it and is totally in love with it as it goes to the slaughterhouse. No, that and that's irrefutable. But the <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right, Joe. This is I think one of the one of the huge strengths of Bong Joon Ho is that he is able to weave social commentary into films that are just entertaining on a level even apart from that social commentary in a way that – that very few filmmakers do you know what i mean like i even remember when you know uh avatar came out and 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 how many people were like oh my god i get it you're doing this like environmentalist uh parable thing james cameron you know don't hit me over the head with this stuff and and it's for a lot of people i think a lot of viewers a lot of critics it kind of killed any joy they might have taken in the film from a visual standpoint or or from a you know what they were able to achieve with this whole world they created um whereas this you know like with bong joon ho whether it be okja whether it be the host whether it be parasite like i i never feel that way either i mean now usually i'm on his side with the social so it's probably easier for me to say that but i feel like even for somebody who would normally want to support industrial farming or say that you know well it gets the right kind of uh, nutrients to the right people at a low cost and you know whatever the argument they might want to make I don't think they'd get hung up on that in this film because it, there's enough of a fantastical element to kind of distance them. I'd like to think maybe that the message seeps in a little bit, but I don't think they're going to get so hung up on it that they won't enjoy the film. I mean,
1: I I, I agree to a certain extent. I did think that the, uh, the messaging was slightly heavy handed. Um, like, but he makes,
0: he makes the animal rights activists be some of the silliest characters in the film. I mean, he's, he's lampooning them yeah. as much as he's lampooning anybody else. I agree. And I th- I think
1: that's something that's very interesting about him as a filmmaker is that he's not someone that, uh, takes really definitive sides. Like he's an equal opportunity, um, lampooner, I guess, to a certain, uh, extent, if, if, or at least if that's the right word, right. but I mean, cause, cause, cause realistically at the end of the day, if you are on an extreme side of any situation, whether you're on the extreme left or the extreme, right, there are ridiculous aspects of whatever it is that you're doing or however it is that you do what it is that you do. Mm-hmm. And so I, it's, I, I like that he is willing to kind of go after either or. Um, but You know, I did think at least towards the end, it it got a little heavy handed with the factory farming thing. Not that I am a strong advocate of factory farming. Um, It is, you know, a part of like the world that we live in. And it's very difficult to get around, but it's not my favorite thing. But, uh, but I said it in the group chat, not a big Paul Dano guy. I couldn't take him seriously in this role because he was I like too him. hard. I like, him. like he was too much of like a hard ass. He was too serious. And he's just got kind of a goofy no, face. But he,
0: but he had those, he had those great, like, I think one of the things he does really well is those moments where he's like being kind of nice, but there's something like underlyingly smarmy about it that you just, even if he is well-intentioned, you don't like it. I mean, it, I feel like he plays that and there will be blood. I feel like he plays it here in, in Okja um and i've seen him do it in some other films like i don't i don't know i i, I don't i don't agree at all with that like, i guess is the, but i'm more a fan of his than uh, clearly you are carlos
2: well i also yeah. carlos you um revealed in the netflix party that you've never seen there will be blood which uh i no, I've seen maybe, the first half i want to spend a few minutes at the end of the episode maybe doing a little behind the scenes episode building for the future but um I just want to get back to the original point of the films that he's made. This is the most heavy handed. Uh, In fact, there's a lot of online criticism, not criticism, but rather people that were enjoying the film up to a point become really uncomfortable during those uh, slaughterhouse scenes. Because it's it is a piece of America and the world that we don't like to pull the curtain back on and see sure. how the sausage gets made literally. So in Bong, and Bong just goes for it. This is what yeah. happens inside a slaughterhouse. Yeah. You just happen to be seeing the lovable character Akja as the, you know, involved in it.
1: Yeah, and I think I think one thing he does really well is like the part where it gets the most intense when you're actually seeing the super pigs being killed is they all kind of look like Akja. Like, it's hard to tell the difference, and I think that that's, mm. like, done on purpose. Um, it was it was kind of interesting, though. I just couldn't help but go back to um, Biggest Little Farm and uh, Food, Inc., the episode that we did on that. Like, it really kind of made me go back and um, think about watching those movies and the episode that we did on them, because there's definitely, like, a lot of parallels to be drawn from that. I don't think we talked about it enough. It was mentioned. Jake Gyllenhaal's amazing. (laughs) Like, the fucking range that he has in this film. Like, he... You know, he's not necessarily known as a character actor or like a method actor, like somebody like that, like, you know how Christian Bale is kind of known for like, like some people don't even know he's British or whatever. And like, cause he gets so like entrenched in these roles and like gets so deep into them and like goes mm-hmm. to the extreme of either gaining 150 pounds or losing a hundred pounds or whatever the fuck. But Gyllenhaal is kind of met. he gets kind of method in this movie. Like he really like finds a way to become this guy mm-hmm. and shed the Gyllenhaal Skin that he, you know, the recognizable kind of image that he has, and the highs and lows that he goes through in it with the his real personality of being this really high pitched kind of like annoying, grating personality to the on air very um, you know eloquent and uh, well spoken kind of character, and <laughs> uh, it's just it's it's really so good i mean it's it may be the best i've ever seen him
0: <laughs> i i i i don't disagree i mean i think that this is what, one of his best roles just it, and it's and it's an odd one but it's fun to see him stretch and, and do that kind of thing um you know the, i know i know we've talked about him before when we saw velvet buzzsaw i think he did a, a pretty good job with that one as well even though i wasn't as much a fan of that film good movie. um but I mean, yeah, I've 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 sort of since Donnie Darko and, and I know he's been acting even before them. But since Donnie Darko, he he's one of those uh, actors who I've enjoyed and, and I love it when I see him pop up and stuff. And uh, and and this film, I think, is is one of his best performances, even if it is a little bit wacky.
1: Yeah, it's pretty wacky, but I think it's great. Yeah, let's all agree on wacky and I'll leave it alone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you dislike it?
2: Um, it's the it's it, it, I, it, it's a long episode. <laughs> See, you job.
1: Yeah, I it's, think I think it, it's great. It's, and It's worth seeing.
2: Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's trying something very different, and the entire time I'm saying he's trying something very different. However, uh,
0: so however, it was distracting for you
2: a little bit, but not. Okay. But again, a great, great, great movie.
0: I could okay. see it being distracting. Yeah, I think it works. I mean, what what I love, I guess, that just and and I won't hammer the point too much, but you know, I love you know, you first kind of meet him coming up from the mountain, and he's all ornery and pissed off and and demanding things and and whatnot, and he's he's like a he, you can tell he's a television personality who is. Accustomed to a certain level of pampering, and he's not getting it, and he's in it. but then he's able to slip into his TV host persona, and he and he does that kind of seamlessly, and then he goes and has this heart to heart with the with the uh, girl um, that has a different tone to it altogether, where he's kind of apologizing for his behavior. Before I don't know, I I think what Carlos said early on, I think he shows a lot of uh, subtlety in the performance that does have some really over the top kind of silly, crazy moments. And then these kind of weirdly grounded moments within that that even show like he knows he's playing a character. It's like a character within a character within a. I, I, I'm. I'll leave it there. I think he does a nice job. I agree. So, uh, so it seems like we liked Oakja, and we certainly enjoyed the experience of getting to watch it alongside some of our uh, listeners and and our, and each other, and perhaps we'll. Uh, Re, uh, you know, return to this again later. You know, if if you know, as quarantine goes on, we, yeah, <laughs> Netflix party. Uh,
1: you know, the, the, uh, hopefully on, we do the, the Netflix case party case. again. Not hopefully that the quarantine continues. Oh, I don't yes. see
2: why we should do that often. The Netflix party Friday night, and, and what I'm in, what I am in a sick, sick way. <laughs> is it's a sick way to say it. Enjoying about all of this are these bursts of online creativity and i know that you guys are seeing it some of your favorite bands are doing online concerts uh local bartenders are doing virtual happy hours you know all trying yeah it's all trying to make the best of a bad situation by using the technology in front of us i don't i think friday night there was so much competition for eyeballs that our netflix party was not as large as it could have been So maybe we do that on a weeknight in the future as more and more people are actually staying home, we can break up a Tuesday night with a Netflix party or a Thursday night with a Netflix party.
1: Yeah, for sure. And if you are uh, a Corpus listener, there is this um, virtual happy hour Facebook group that's happening. Um,
2: oh it's happening in whoever, wherever you're listening it's happening in your city too
1: yeah I'm sure that it is but I know that right. I've I, I know that Will has done one tapology Will a uh, friend of the sh- they, friend of ours may, I don't think he listens to the show but if, you know a friend of ours they have asked us to uh, do that we could Sheree. we could do one
2: of those we're just trying to figure out the technology of getting all three of us on the screen together
1: yeah I mm-hmm. would be down um, to do that I mean it could be fun we'll take
2: well, we can take that offline
1: yeah 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 we'll figure it out but yeah they're friends of ours personally and friends of the show have been uh have been doing that, and it's a very uh it's a very cool kind of fun thing to do also um while we're on the topic of that uh slash texas house of rock they've been doing a lot of live stream shows. Um, Mm -hmm. I mentioned in the last episode, the day it came out, the blind owls did one, but since then, sweet daddy has done one total death mechanics has done one. Um, there's been, they've been, they've been hitting it pretty hard and also a very easy curbside to go system. They've got set up over there.
0: That's Um, right. I've picked up
1: food from house rock several times and it's been a very easy, streamlined, delicious experience.
0: And to Joe's point, I think pretty much wherever you're listening to this, there's somebody locally who's doing a curbside pickup, who's doing these live stream concerts, live virtual happy hours. It, try, try to get on that stuff. I mean, it it's um, it's something that I think a lot of us miss. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably one of those people because you like going out to the bar occasionally. You like going out to the movie theater. You like seeing folks. Um, and And all of our in the service industries who are experiencing kind of the roughest end of this, I think, economically right now. I would definitely just uh, hope that all of our listeners are doing whatever they can to tap into those local um, opportunities to help support those people who they're going to want to be there when things come back online.
2: For sure. Yeah, I think all I think all three of us have picked up crawlers from local breweries and taken them home in this time. Your local breweries, is. wherever you live, are—I mean, their income. What is I'm paying. jealous. Go ahead.
0: What I'm jealous of are the ones who get delivery. That we ours. I, I think uh, Texas has not figured it out uh, to to let our brewers do it in a totally legal way at this point. But I'm seeing folks in other states. Some folks that uh, um, we kind of know. Superior Bathhouse, I know, is doing this, and yeah, most, uh, a
2: lot of them are.
0: Yeah, and I've seen. Or, or go pick up that
2: crowler. Go go pick up that crowler. You right. know, practice your, practice your social distancing. Sure, sure, sure. I washed my crowlers in the sink before I stuck them in the fridge. I, you know, right. what it is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What do we think of the beer? Yeah, the Sunlab Pastry Stout Blackout is um, guys. Did it did it uh, live up to the can's uh, description?
1: You know, before we get into the beer, actually, I think that. Because because we're only doing one episode per recording session in these times, I feel like they're going longer because we <laughs> that, know we're not awesome going to we're not going to get that second session going. So these episodes I, I are running to, longer than normal.
2: Yeah, I don't have to get home when we're done. I'm yeah, already
1: home. <laughs> yeah. So you're getting a little bonus content going. Um, I you know I've I've enjoyed this beer uh, a good amount. I don't. Know that I got everything that it was advertising. I'm getting more of the spices than anything else. Right. Right. Uh, the spices are really hitting there. heavy. The, but the, that's
0: that's primarily what it is. It's kind of the, the the only thing I take issue with this this one for is that it's calling itself a pastry stout. Yes, because exactly. it's it's a stout with some spices and some lactose to give it a little more body, but there's nothing particularly I'm not getting like a bready like I don't I don't know. There's not like a donut quality or a croissant, you know, not a no, ton of
1: sweetness that you would expect from a quote right.
0: unquote pastry. Right agree to me this is more like a spiced stout this is more in line with even though it's not um heat spice like a um shokovesa is yeah it has something it's more like that than it is the a bomb typical series. stout yeah the bomb
1: series right yes, this, yeah this this kind of to me would be really great around like thanksgiving or christmas mm. It's Absolutely. like a fall weather. Uh, we're getting out of summer, starting right. to cool down a little bit. Want to get it a little. It would go great with
0: you know. It has all the same spices as like a gingerbread cookie would have. It, yes, it exactly. It has that feel like it, or a pumpkin pie. You know, like if you yeah. if you were sipping this alongside some of that kind of uh, seasonal dessert that you're talking about with the Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas season, I think you you couldn't go wrong. This is yeah, this 100%. is pop watch, yeah.
2: You know, one of the things that comes up and has come up several times on this show is that the three of us, for whatever reason, we do not enjoy false advertising on the can. (laughs)
0: This,
2: This beer is great, but... I'm curious about the the conference room where the brewers are all in there, and they're tasting their final product, and they're saying, let's call it a pastry stout. Or perhaps they said, let's make a pastry stout, and then they tasted their final product. You're absolutely right, David. This is not a pastry stout. That they wrote it on the can creates a level of expectation that they don't meet. I don't want to say to myself, I don't like this beer because it's not the pastry stout as advertised, but... There's something about calling your beer a certain thing and it not delivering that thing that mm-hmm. gives it a couple of negative points that it wouldn't have had if you'd maybe called it something different.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's an interesting thing that happens. I think, I don't think there's a lot of like, we're going to test the final product to completely change our marketing campaign. I think a lot of times some of these things might get announced by the brewers before the brewing process is done. Um, right and you, gotta things make like your, that. you
2: have to make your labels ahead of time because of the yes laws you, ex- exactly
1: yeah. that's i think that's a big part of it um so i mean i don't know there's ups and downs to that and like i can definitely see where brewers are coming from but i do also agree that it is disappointing when something is presented to you in a certain way and it you know kind of comes that
2: that said i enjoyed this beer very much but it's not one of my top five of the year.
0: Yeah. No, I, I and, and I agree. I mean, I think I think it's really good, but uh, but yeah, and partly because it's not really describing itself <laughs> as as accurately as I, as I would love it to. And even if it did, I think you know, it's it, there, there's some things in there that. Uh, I've had better in in others, but it's a really good beer. I mean, it's a. I, I don't want to leave anybody with an impression that this is a beer they shouldn't grab if you're in Florida um, or or South Carolina, for that matter. And you have this on the shelf somewhere in your local liquor liquor store as you are quarantine buying. Please get as many blackout days as you can. I don't think you'll be disappointed that you have that in your refrigerator.
2: Completely yeah. agree. Yeah. Hey, do you guys mind if we program a little bit or at least discuss it? I'm going to throw out there the requirement of a Paul Thomas Anderson episode, mm-hmm. much like today's Bong Joon-ho episode. Okay. Let's get Carlos all the way through There There Will Be Blood. And I want to do that record store uh, episode soon, the one where we've talked about forever, uh, watching High Fidelity and maybe Empire Records. Empire back Records, back. yeah.
1: I, I'm down for that episode. Um, I mean... I'm obviously familiar with the material, but I think the biggest thing about that episode versus the PTA episode is we really have been talking about this high fidelity thing for so long, like okay. literally since, you know, within the first couple months I've been on the show, we've talked about doing that episode. So I think that, uh, I think that it could be a good one. Um, I definitely have a lot to say, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's really,
0: you know, it,
2: David, David, what do you think? You got, you got anything in mind for the near future?
0: I just, I'm adamantly opposed to doing high fidelity and (laughs) I have no interest in ever revisiting the films of Paul Thomas Anderson. So aside from that, I'm open. I mean, those are just the two (laughs) lines. (laughs) And and
2: I refuse to do wonder boys of a very interesting look at academic professional.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I think both those ideas are great. And, uh, you know, the, I, I think uh, thinking about the uh, quarantine episodes as opportunities to dig back into the uh, the archives, I would actually love if any of our listeners had films that they've maybe uh, picked up on while they've been quarantining or, you know, socially distancing, all that stuff. Uh, if if there's something they'd be curious about, our opinions about, it would be fun to maybe do a listener re- uh, request episode. So this episode is going to come out.
1: April 1st, Wednesday. Um, So it probably won't be the April 7th or 8th or whatever day that is episode, but the episode after that, we are imploring you to tell us what you want to hear. That's exactly what our call to action is right now as far as our listener base is concerned. So what episodes have you, or not episodes, what films have you gone And kind of dug up in this quarantine, social distancing kind of time period that uh, you have rediscovered, or at least rediscovered your passion for, that you would be curious how we felt about it, uh, what we would say about it.
0: Or even some gem that you discovered, just because you were... Yeah, exactly. Maybe Uh something that was
1: deep in the bowels of Netflix that right does it's not coming up in your trending it's not coming up in your just added it's not coming up in your recommended but that you just kind of through extensive searching found uh that you're curious what we thought about that's the kind of thing that we want to know about so that we can plan for our episode that will come out on uh april 15th tax day fuck uh no
0: no it's july 15th now you, okay you can... well yeah
1: yeah you're right you're right um let us know because we want to do an, a quarantine episode specifically for our listeners. Um, the best way to tell us about all of those things is by hitting us up on social media. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at beer movie show, Instagram at beer in a movie and facebook.com slash beer in a movie TX. Um, if you are running out of podcasts to listen to beer and moviepodcast is our website. There is a listen link there where you can go through our entire back catalog. Absolutely free. I've said it once. I've said it a thousand times. We are a podcast by the people for the people. Um, and if you are listening to this on Apple podcast, please rate review and subscribe. We had a contest that was running a few episodes back, um, which is now, uh, is now over, but it was, you know, you could win a movie poster if, um, you went on iTunes and left us a review and or rated us and left us a written review. We picked a winner for that last episode. Um, but it's even if you can't win anything still helps us out a great deal and it will help us to program future content that you are interested in and that, uh, you know, tell us what you like, don't like what you want to see more of in the future. Really? We can't uh, stress enough how much that helps us and how much we appreciate that.
0: Until next time, there ain't no party like a Netflix party because a Netflix party is just a side chat that goes alongside the movie you're watching.